Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Microsoft Surface Pro 8 has the power of a laptop and the versatility of a tablet, all in one. This thin and adaptable device has a touchscreen and a newly designed signature keyboard that can even store your Surface Pen. Surface Pro 8 is Microsoft's most powerful pro yet. Show the world how you stand out with Surface Pro 8. Check it out at surface.com slash surface pro 8. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you 24-7 with supplies and solutions for every industry and access to product specialists ready to help. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, 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 this is NFL Hall of Famer Ray Lewis. I'm excited to announce the launch of my new podcast, Everyday Greatness. The Ray Lewis Podcast. I'll be talking with friends, family members, old teammates, athletes, celebrities, moguls. And guess what? I'll be talking to you. Listen, this is all in the search for everyday greatness. So I'm asking you to come along with me on this ride. Download new episodes of Everyday Greatness, the Ray Lewis Podcast, every Friday on Spotify. Apple Podcasts and on podcast1.com. It's not what you have, it's what's inside of you that actually inspires greatness. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Lure, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is my colleague, Seth Partnow of The Athletic. We go through a lot of topics. The first half is really on kind of our thoughts on the NBA's return to play plan as it exists right now. We talk about some of the growing skepticism that's out there and some of the complications and my thoughts, you know, a week in, I had the, I, parts of it I've changed a little bit on from where I was before and Seth helps him change my mind on a few things as well. Then we get into a few of the teams and situations that we find most compelling going into the seeding games in the playoffs, heavy focus on the Pelicans, a little bit on the Sixers, and the Pacers, and a few other teams. Um, so definitely hope you enjoy it. Episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Use the Podcast One promo code to get your sign-up bonus. This episode runs a little bit over an hour. Lots of good stuff in here. Hope you really enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Glad to be here again, Danny. I wanted to have you on because, I mean, now we hopefully, hopefully tentatively have a, a, a an idea of, of where these things are going. And something that struck me, you know, you and I have Do been... Do we? Well, we have an idea, I'll put it that way, <laughs> of, where, of where things might go. Something that I was thinking about today that was just kind of, it, it amused me, was there's been a lot of attention, sometimes consternation, on a lot of parts of this proposal, you know, the 22 teams and everything else, when a lot of those conversations are going to basically amount to, the way I'm describing it is kind of like conference tournaments of teams that are one bid, like one bid conferences. And so it's like, yeah, it's interesting and it's fun. And we, you know, you get you in the mood for the real stuff. But 
the battle for the eighth seed, and you could say to a lesser extent the battle to the for the seven in the east, like basically it's just cannon fodder versus cannon fodder. Interesting cannon fodder, all the same, but that there is a lot more intrigue to me in terms of because you're opening up these eight games in terms of some of the more in conference stuff, you know, like with four seeds and five seeds and all that stuff, where those teams actually have a chance of winning a round, maybe winning two. Sure. I, I, I haven't really, honestly, I have, I've focused so much less on kind of that sort of movement up and down. Cause I, especially with no home court advantage on the line, it's kind of how much does it matter? Um, you know, yeah, I, I mean, think we're, we're going to get a good test case for that. I mean, we're, we're yeah. getting different and it's not only like, this has come up a couple of times as I've been thinking about this is it's not just you get your home crowd. It's also the other team staying in a hotel and they don't get to practice in the normal facility. And they're all, all, all those other tangential benefits. This is part of why I argued for higher seeds to be able to choose their opponents. Is there all these? Oh, I thought you were going to say that's why you're arguing for higher seats, getting a chance to choose their hotels. Oh, I mean, yeah, I also support. <laughs> I think that would also be hilarious. Um, and it's it is so. It's not just playing in your home sta- home home stadium in front of no fans. It's also you're all playing in a neutral site, and all those other advantages are are neutralized or yeah, they're equalized. I guess would be the way to put it. I mean, I I've seen. Uh, some research that suggests that the home court advantage is primarily a result of kind of, uh, you know, kind of the, the gray area calls tend to shade towards the home team. And that's kind of where the couple point of game advantage comes from. Um, you know, maybe, maybe not, but uh, whatever it is, I think that the, that whatever the cause of what is a persistent, you know, three or four point edge to the home team, uh, that that is likely to be, you know, not present. So again, that that removes some of the benefits of seeding. I mean, obviously, like you know, the 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 three seed in a in 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 a conference has a slightly easier path to the conference finals than the than the than the four seed does, but. Um, you know, a seven-game series is going to sort out the way it's going to sort out, and I think that the, there's strong reason to believe that the best teams, you know, tend to win uh, a lot. So, you know, let's—I I kind of care less about the the sort of the fairness of those seating discussions. Um, certainly in this circumstance, um, because you know, you have a you you every team has the opportunity to, you know, prove it on the floor. I guess. That's true, and I think that especially foc- if you're focusing on conference finalists, uh, NBA title contenders, then those things do largely come out in the wash. There can be specific advantages or disadvantages that happen, but necessarily predicting that. I mean, you, there was I had this idea years ago that I thought that the Rockets should try to play the Warriors in the second round rather than the conference finals because Harden <laughs> was just less tired. And there are certain kind of ancillary things like that. But part of why I'm interested, and this is just, you know, you and I are both invested in the kind of personnel team building part of this whole equation. And there is a group of of teams, probably a significant one, where, yeah, they'd love to win a championship. And, they you know, everybody would. 
But that's probably not likely. And I, But I do think that as a practical consideration, and we'll use the Philadelphia 76ers here, there is a pretty big difference that we might even see in terms of the personnel decisions that they make between getting knocked out in the first round and winning a round or two. I mean, when you consider how close they got, I mean, they, they, were, they were actually the team that gave partially due to health and everything else. They gave Toronto the most trouble, the team that gave Toronto the, the eventual champion the most. And so— How, how dare you? I mean, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. But, I mean, and, and some of that was, you know, the, the way the ball bounces and everything like that. It's, yeah. it's not it's not all like they were the best team or anything like that. It's just they got, you know, they were a couple bounces away from overtime in a game seven and all that. But, right. but what I'm getting at is this idea. So there is a a more ephemeral, more subjective part of team building. And a lot of times that comes from ownership and that's ownership's willingness to spend. And so I, I wrote about this a little bit in a piece for The Athletic that came out the day after, I think it was a week ago, the day we, we kind of found out the general contours of where things might go unless it gets derailed. And one of the things I fixated on was the, the Pacers-Sixers 5-6 battle. And it's not because I think either one of those teams is going to win the championship or dethrone the Bucks or anything like that. It's that... I could see both of them interpreting a first-round exit very differently than a first-round victory, and I think playing the Heat is meaningfully easier than playing the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, you're you're talking about something that I agree exists, and especially in kind of these conditions, it's kind kind of silly. Like, we see teams... You know, teams talk themselves into things. Oh, we made this round of the playoffs. It's like, well, yeah, the other team's best player blew out their knee. Yep. So, yes, you made the same. <laughs> and it's just that Sh- doesn't – Shout out you know, to the Western Conference Finals Portland Trailblazers team. Ah, uh, if that's where you want to take it. Uh, well, yes. Or we could go um, – sure, you could you could pick your own example. No, no, that that's – I mean that, – that, Or, I mean, you could even do that Blazers team that made the second round and lost to the Warriors in, in 2016 when the reason they won was because, like, every Clippers player got hurt. Oh yeah, that was was the, like Chris Paul broke his hand, and, and then and, Blake Griffin got a hamstring or something the next game. Yeah, or 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 other way around. No, the thing is the other way around because didn't. Uh, uh, no wait, I'm 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 getting I'm getting Clippers playoff uh, playoff uh, failures. There there are so there are so many of them. We can we can yeah. bring one well, of no, the, there, we there, can bring there, some more of the Clipper blog live people on to to discuss. Yeah, I know. We can, I mean, we, there was the, the obviously the one against Houston when when Chris Paul's hamstring gave out at the end of the game the game seven against San Antonio in the first round, and then Blake Griffin broke down in the second. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But no, the the. The the point is correct that there will be decisions made based on how you know a simple heuristic of how many rounds did we win in the playoffs and I think that's probably over indexing on you know that's an area where I guess seating does matter in sort of a a, a butterfly flaps its wings kind of way uh, and I, I don't necessarily think that makes a lot of sense <laughs> especially given given the weirdness of you know I think there's going to be probably differences in kind of conditioning level and and some teams were probably more able to just pick up the ball and play than others uh in terms of of having continuity and stuff like that like you know how how much work is going to take the rockets to get you know into their offensive rhythm compared to a you know a team like you know what 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 of the top teams have have a more continuity based offense like utah or something like that yeah, I, I think that's a, a really sound a really sound point, and there will be some of those advantages and disadvantages. Another another element of that, like you, you talked about, the kind of the arbitrariness of it that I was thinking about is inevitably there are times whether it's a coach getting hired or fired or personnel changes that 
it gets reduced to a team's wins and losses. And then I was thinking about the teams this year that most dramatically exceeded or underperformed their win total based on point differential. So you could go like, for example, Charlotte, they actually weren't number one. Denver was Charlotte exceeded their point differential. Like by, by they, they outperformed it by four wins oh, per cleaning the glass. Hornets over baby. Hornets over baby. And so you know they 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 didn't make the seeding games, but they finished at twenty three and forty two when per like they, they were getting outscored by seven points per hundred possessions, and so you'd expect that that kind of team would win. You know more like twenty five games or twenty four games over the whole season, not an abbreviated one, and that changes the way Mitch Kupchak thinks about it. I don't think it affects Michael Jordan's willingness to spend, so that's one part that doesn't change here, but. You have that, and then on the other end, like um, Minnesota is probably a good example of this. Like Minnesota was, to me, a better team than the record indicated, though they had this super weird season because of uh, Towns missing much time, and they basically traded the entire roster between the start of last offseason and, and the and now. Um, but yeah, like I was thinking about that too, that you know, Nate and I think talk about this a fair amount when we do the over-under pod each year, but there are those elements of like, how good was this team actually, and whether whether the people whose whose opinions matter consider everything rather than like wins and losses and whatnot. Uh, on balance, I think all evidence points to no that they <laughs> that they do not uh, that they that they focus more on the you know the results are the results, and I think that I don't think that there's I don't think you have to look very hard to see you know. Uh, treating you know uh results that were the that that arose from some positive variance being treated as a baseline as opposed to treat being treated as sort of uh the outlier that they were so yeah. i and, you know and i think that can happen and, in all sorts of ways i mean yeah. that can be on an individual player i remember this came up with colin sexton i mean so sexton in the his rookie year in the eighteen nineteen season, you know, he was awful at the beginning and then was significantly improved. Not amazing, but significantly improved in the second half. And I got into a bunch of arguments with Cavs fans over time that's like, it all matters. It doesn't all, it all necessarily yeah. it doesn't all necessarily matter equally, but it does all matter. And then so this I like it and I I'm not trying to like kill optimism or anything like that. And there are times when the the funniest thing is one of the through lines for me of this season was guys that I had been criticizing and basically saying that they kind of were concerned that their that fans and certain members of the media were overhyping them actually kind of delivering like Brandon Ingram's an amazing example of this like and and Devin Booker more last year than this year it's like yeah you've said they were good for three years and like you know Jason Tatum was was good for a rookie a couple years ago but that didn't make it this inevitable even though it is what happened yeah, well, I mean, there's the, the other ones where it's entirely right that, that it's entirely possible that that you know, if you take Brandon Ingram, he was not a very good NBA player for his first couple of years in the league. Um, a lot of that was, I think, situational. Um, some of that was from from you know, he he improved a bunch as a shooter this year, and all of a sudden he's a much better player. Um, that wasn't inevitable, and it doesn't change the fact that when he was not a good shooter, he wasn't a very good player. Um, and also, so, like, and know. also, his improvement in shooting was not easily foreseen. Yeah, no, I mean, he, you know, across the board, he was a, a mediocre, you know, mediocre free throw shooter too, and that's that's sort of one of those things you you kind of look at as okay, he has good touch, but um, but yeah, so um, I, I, it's funny. I've done a number of kind of Q and As with uh, beat writers at the Athletic talking about you know various developments in their team season and you know the 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 phenomenon you're talking about where you know a young player has a tough first half of the season and a d and a better second half of the season uh 
you know, the the tendency to only want to count the good part is so strong. And I feel like I've spent, you know, a quarter of each of those articles um, basically saying the whole thing matters. Yeah, it's better. It's better that they finish strong the season strong than if they had played at the same level they were in the first half of the season. But it all counts. And yeah, there's some like, yeah, there's some improvement, but the improvement is probably somewhere in the middle rather than, you know, the very peak of this last arbitrary number of game sample where the guy happened to shoot 45% from three and yada, yada, yada. It, it also can be the case, and you probably know more about the thorniness of this than I do. I was thinking about this in terms of like Colin Sexton or Kobe White or like, because a lot of these young players who have hot stretches are on bad teams because that's how they get the opportunity, like how their playing time can shift and everything like that. And so yeah. that also leads to the challenge of, is there is there something different about like the defenses they're facing? Is there something basically like can a team get so far out of it that the sample ends up becoming less representative? I mean, there was a uh, I don't know how prevalent this expression is around the league, but we used to call that the, that kind of performance. You know, okay, like I don't care how he did in fake games. Uh, and there's you know we didn't we did not get fully into the fake game portion of the season this year. True. But I mean, there, there's there, but there's a there's a lot of that. I mean, there there are some teams where the bulk of their season was fake games. So you know, what do you take of that? I mean, again, it's better that they perform well in those situations than if they don't. But you don't want to overinterpret. You know, like there's a different. There's just kind of like it's the difference between a guy showing up in the scouting report that people care about or not. Right. You know? And like I was thinking about there. I think. Ken Pelton's done a good job of this before about like Alfred Payton, for whatever reason, has significantly more like triple doubles and crazy stats games in March and April than other parts <laughs> of the season. And there might be some causation there rather than correlation in terms of the right. the opportunities that present themselves for that type of performance, especially when you consider the teams that he has been on. Not that Alfred Payton is always been the reason those teams weren't competitive, but he in some ways you could argue benefited in the late season from that non-competitiveness. And like, there's also this weird facet that Nate and I talk sometimes about how the first couple weeks of a season shape your expectations a lot too. Like if the guy's cold, you kind of think of it that they're having a down year for longer than they actually are. And the other way that can swing, especially if like with more kind of casual people is if somebody's hot towards the end of a year. And that isn't necessarily the same thing for a player on a bad team as a player on a good team. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, the, the kind of the, the polar opposites of anchoring bias and recency bias are, are things that we're always kind of, always kind of struggling against. Yeah. So I want to get back to what I was, what I was kind of going, going towards in the very beginning. And (laughs) wait, we bounced off topic. It it happens once or twice. It happens. Yeah. So what I I was thinking about a team like, cause, cause there's been a little bit of, you know, kind of public concern (laughs) by certain players. And it seems like more private concern by players about some of the, like the sacrifices that they're making. And it is true. I mean, that a lot of, a lot of this, you know, especially the, you know, the first, let's call it three weeks of this is going to be a lot of sound and fury signifying not a whole heck of a lot in terms of how it affects the arc of the league and everything else. I mean, it'll be it'll be good. But what that obscures, and I don't know how they feel about this, is it always seemed to me pretty clear that the reason they were doing that was for revenue. And so it's like, yeah, you're not doing that because you, those teams are fighting for a playoff berth or anything else. It's so you and your brethren and the owners, but because it's you know close to a 50-50 split— so you guys make more money, and that is not necessarily, you know, like the most 
palatable thing, but I think that's a more a more fair way of thinking about the seating games. Sure, though. So a couple things there. One, it's it's weird how we we're we're talking about a professional sport, and then we like there's there's oh they're doing it for money. It's like, it's like the whole thing is for money. I know. So that's, that's, like that's what a lot of like, us are doing. <laughs> Yeah, like you know, we 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 both like basketball and got into basketball writing because we like basketball, but we both do it as jobs because people will pay us to do it. So it's yeah. Oh you know, yeah, I, I like wasn't I wasn't we, trying to denigrate it all. Yeah, no, I was no. just I, no, no, no. I, but I but I, 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 I appreciate you making the distinction. Yeah, no, I, I think it's I think it's just important to say that like okay, in professional sports, that's why things happen is for money, and that's sort of it has to be definite definitionally okay. That said, I, I there there may be in my mind there's a little bit of robbing Peter to pay Paul in that you like okay the extra month they're tacking on the front of the season to play these are they regular season are they seeding whatever these these third category games uh, before the playoffs uh, you know that 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 pushes everything back a month and so now we're we're talking about just weirdness with what what next season looks like and you know who knows what the world looks like in 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 October November December but still like your 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 best case scenario is still setting you up for some weirdness and so it's i i do i do worry that there's a there's a decision that okay well, let's get the revenue for 1920 and then oh wait we're just that's not it's substituting revenue we're not going to get next year because, you know, if we're playing 82 games in four months, Kawhi Leonard's going to play 35 games. Uh, the quality of play is going to be what it's going to be, and we're going to be, be hurt hurting that way. Um, uh, maybe, you know, we have teams that make the conference finals and finals are they have, what, two months, six weeks of of, of offseason this, this, this year. That's pretty rough in terms of, again, you're going to have how many of your marquee players are going to be, you know, in that situation. So again, just wonder about the knock-on effects towards next season. That's that's point one. Wait, can um, I can I stop? Can I stop on that? Yeah, quickly? please so do. The, so, I yeah. think that's a real. I think that's a brilliant point and one that hasn't been talked about enough. And this gets into the uh, the, the piece. Uh, Bontem- I think it was Bontemps and Windhorst had at ESPN about the potential targeting. This kind of I think this stemmed kind of from a Travis Schlenk thing about trying to end next season, the 2020-21 season, in time for the Olympics. So if you think about it from that perspective, then this looks a lot more strange because— You're, just, you're trying to do too much. You're trying—not only are you trying to do too much, but if one of the ramifications of adding this 22-game seeding thing is, you know, it, as you said, it pushes back the season all that, you're not only putting more players at risk, you're adding more timing variance, a lot of those mm-hmm. other things— but theoretically, one of the consequences is not a reduction in the offseason, though I think that's a part of it in competitiveness. It also could be a reduction in the 2020-21 regular season where, yes, there is a distinct possibility. If, I, I don't know if there's a probability that – well, there's a almost certainty that for at least a portion of it there won't be fans. But basically what I'm getting at is there are only 22 teams now. And yeah, the games can happen a little bit more frequently because nobody's traveling. But there are all these other concerns. And if – they're reducing the 30-team regular season next year to add stuff now. It's a little bit bizarre, and that's I hadn't thought of it in that same way. And I think that's a really good point. Yeah, no, and I think you, I think you kind of hit on on my second point there, which is, you know, again, um, 
I was kind of trying to avoid relitigating this since it seemed like it had been settled. But apparently, with some of the, stu- the 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 stuff that's come out today, as we're recording about you know players pushing back on the on the bubble slash campus idea, is that you know, all right, if you're asking people to be in the bubble for you know a sprint, you know your your UK your your team that's going to lose your first round playoff playoff series, but you're gonna you know you're gonna warm up in the bubble play next to get mission game or two uh you're in and out in you know a month or five weeks okay that's you know that's that that is unpleasant but it can manage now you're but now you're talking about wait we got to be in for a month and then you know then still have to do this first round playoff thing and we're still we we still know we're not going anywhere and just like the the even as someone who intellectually understands very easily why there needs to be kind of a fairly rigid kind of bubble environment. Um, that's like, man, that's tough. <laughs> you know, you start to, and if, now if you're a team that if you're the Bucks, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Rockets, uh, the, you know, the, the teams that really think that they have, have, you know, uh, a chance at winning the title this year, you know, you, it's okay. It's, it's, it's business time. Let's focus and do this. I think that's that's difficult, but not insurmountable as far as like, you know, getting everyone to pull the same direction. If you're a team that's, you know, if you're on the nets, okay, we're going to make the playoffs, but we're not going anywhere. Like it's 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 only human for kind of to say, well, wait, what? Why? Why? And, you know, you add an extra month to that and it's 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 double why. And yeah, the money is nice, but like it still is going to suck. Well, so, and. and- Going to 22 teams as opposed to to the 16, it adds a lot of players and a lot of people that are going more people that are going to be in that camp. So if you think about that, it, yes. if it was a if it was a 16 team, or even if they wanted to do some sort of little play in or something like that, then there are there certainly would have been players and teams in that circumstance, including the aforementioned Brooklyn Nets. Like they they would have been in that in that same spot, though presumably they would have been in the but they would have been in the bubble less time. And that's important. I think that that is one of the one of the things is just the amount of time that you're in is is, is yeah. an additional challenge. Um, and so, but when you go from let's say that's like four or five teams in the in the sixteen t- team iteration, you know, you assume that no seven. Like I was going to say no sevens or eights, but I mean Dallas is Dallas is a very good team. So I mean you could maybe make, make an argument there. Um, right. So like there may be three three teams that don't really they're just kind of there to to round out the numbers let's put it that way and then you know there there are a bunch that probably aren't going to win a championship but maybe they have a chance to win a round or whatever like that so but you have three teams total now you make everybody who who is focusing on the end game stay an extra month so then that adds the cumulative stress mm-hmm. to them and you bring in mm-hmm. an extra six teams that are just in that Nets camp. Like, yeah, maybe there's a certain circumstance where, like, like the best case scenario, let's say, for, for Portland. Like, I, I think it's going to be good for, for you know, the personnel evaluators and, you know, maybe to a certain extent members of the team to, like, kind of see what this team looks like at closer to full strength now if, if Nurkic and Collins are available. But the best case scenario for them is whether it's they get the eight seed 
uh, in the you know if they can jump that three games or whatever it is in, in part, or they win two out of three, they win the two in a row. Three, three and a half, three and a half games, three which half. is big, a bigger deficit than any team has ever overcome after 65 games to, to uh, not ever, but in the last 15 full seasons, no team has ever come back from more than three games back from the eighth seed to make the playoffs. But, but, but and, again, and, we're not relitigating. We're not yeah, relitigating. Yeah, not relitigating. Um, but so their best case scenario is – they're not. They're obviously. It's mathematically possible for them to get to the seven. So everything works out great. They, however, it happens. They are the eighth seed in the actual playoffs, and maybe they take a game or two from the Lakers. Okay, you know, like that is the best case scenario, and I think you could argue that Portland's best case scenario is better than any of these other additional six teams. New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, yeah, New Orleans. It's a similar. I think I think New Orleans and Portland yeah. kind of are spiritual analogs because neither team really got to see it all the way. And you could argue that New Orleans is is more important because they have more flexibility with their roster. So David Griffin, Alvin Gentry, getting the time to kind of see how this goes. Like there's there's value yeah. in that to them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so but but for adding, let's call it a month three weeks whatever to the schedule for that yeah if you want to do it for revenue but i think what one of the kind of parts of this that i've hasn't been super surprising to me other than thinking because there would kind of been seemed like indications that the players have been more involved in this planning from the beginning is like yeah i always understood why this would be a little bit weird to them and you could say that it's worth it but we never we're never really hearing in the early stages that kind of cl- classification of it when that was really for me the the way that you would describe it it was more like yeah we'll do that and it's a lot to sack like it's a lot to give up and yeah it's a lot of money but they're they're doing well no it's right i mean it, it on on one hand it's 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 something that if you're paying attention you you it's hard to hard to say how it, it can go any other way on the other hand it's uh it, there does seem to have been some effort to hide the ball a little bit and so you know i can you know again i don't i neither of us have been privy to the actual negotiations but i can i can see there being a little bit of a feeling of of a bait and switch like okay yeah we got this plan it's like whoa 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 that's not the plan was that the plan the whole time how, how come that's the first time i'm hearing of it and you know maybe you you know there there could have been more earlier kind of clarity on that whether that was from the union internally or from the league to the union or whatever um and so that's that i think that was um the the opacity of kind of those details were always a concern for me because either they weren't developed yet which is a problem or they weren't communicated yet which is the other problem and i think we're probably seeing more of the latter and now we're we're seeing like some pushback and it's like you know we agreed to this but not that and you know there's kind of a danger of a back to the drawing board situation right and the other kind of fascinating question here that we can't answer but is 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 kind of worth mentioning is i don't think the players or the players association are thinking this way but it seems pretty likely to me if not definite that the way we're going to the way the next salary cap for the 2020/21 season is going to be determined is by negotiation between the owners and the players like it's it's not going to be the standard see what the income was and do that because the idea is that it's non-representative and the consequence of 
robotically just adding it on, especially in a reduced season, is that then you'll see a big shortfall, which then leads to a cap spike. And there actually might be more of a constituency for a 2021 cap spike, but considering what happened last time, there might be a lot of people who are more against it. So what I what I'm getting at is this idea that I'm sure there is a possibility, because there absolutely is, that generating less revenue this year impacts things beyond this year. But I think there is a higher chance than at other points that that is not the case, that they're going to calibrate the cap and everything else and potentially have different salary cap and luxury tax rules because of this unusual circumstance. So kind of playing the like the 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 extra step here, if I were the players, I would be saying, well then that means there is less of a consequence for being cautious, being judicious, being, you know, not maximizing revenue as aggressively here, because this might just be kind of a one shot deal. Well, and also, I mean, again, not to belabor the point, but what else do we do? Um, you know, there, there's also there. The, it's not just the you know the 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 schedule per the, the compressed schedule risk. There's also you know the the complications we're talking about in the bubble and kind of the the pressures on compliance, if you will. I mean, that's you know you talk about uh, uh, you know the tail risks of something of of you know like a widespread outbreak or something like that amongst kind of the league's top teams and what that does to 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 next season. Like that's you know. It's not. It's not just. We're not just talking about less money this year. We're talking about like less money, like significantly less money next year. And then we're you know we're we're screwed for several seasons. Right. Um, and it's and and that's a that's a you know a, I I think that's a significant risk that I I'm not sure how to you know to price it out actuarially, but I think it's something that needs to be considered. Um, you know, as part of all of these. I, I I don't think that there 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 it makes much sense to treat this season, next season, and the season after as like separate units. I think it has to be taken. You know, you have to maximize across all three essentially in your in your your, your calculus here. And, and it's made obviously it's made difficult by the fact that predictions about the the future are hard. Um, but you do have to you know account for you know possible impacts down the road also. Right. And there is a possibility, this has been something that's kind of cropped up a little bit today on Friday, of a larger problem potentially leading to the leading to like basically an opt out of the CBA. And that is possible. I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that it is impossible because of the force majeure and some of the other stuff it is. But that I would, I would say that I would say that if they end up not playing in the the the, the like any remainder of the 1920 season I would say it's highly likely. Yeah, I would too. But then you think about okay, well then will that do the owners have enough leverage to get significant concessions to really to really change this equilibrium moving forward? Maybe, but I mean it does because it does lead to the players having carrying more financial risk because of the uncertainty. So I guess I guess that should be acknowledged as well. I mean I think I I do think that the I mean, especially from a, you know, um, from an optic standpoint, I guess, you don't want to get too wrapped up in this, but, you know, Major League Baseball own ownership overplayed their hands so badly that for the first time in like forever, there's kind of significant sympathy on the player side. I don't know if it would play out the same way 
Um, especially like, okay, the, uh, the, the NBA came up with a plan. You agreed to the plan. You didn't like, they didn't agree, agree. They only agreed in principle, but still that fine print tends to get lost. Uh, they came up with what seemed like pretty reasonable safety precautions. And then this happened. What are you guys doing? Yeah. Um, like, uh, you know, not having a crystal ball, I feel pretty safe in saying that's kind of how it would play out. Um, and on top of kind of the, the normal kind of uh, capital versus labor bargaining disparities, you know, that's it's. I don't. I, it's not a. That is not a fight that I would be anxious to pick as a negotiator from the player side. Totally fair. Still a lot more to talk about with Seth, but first a message from Bet Online. While there is currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, hopefully just for now, uh, you might think that there's nothing to bet on. But you would be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on, from their online casino to poker and blackjack as they are bringing the Vegas to you. If you're into entertainment betting, you can still bet on stock prices, the weather, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest, and NASCAR is back. So visit Bet Online and use the Podcast One promo code that gives you a sign up bonus, which is awesome, but also tells them that you came from us. So that helps keep Bet Online continuing to advertise on this podcast, which is much appreciated. They have been a wonderful partner for us. So you can check out Bet Online. It's all open 24 hours a day and all online. Visit the website or use your mobile device and sign up for a new account. Use that Podcast One promo code to get your sign up bonus at Bet Online, your online wagering solution. I want to cha- change pivot a little bit, unless you have more that you want to say on this. Um, just talk about a few. Other, oh no, we've said too much. <laughs> I know yeah. uh, a few other uh, kind of things that have been. I've, I've been interested in your thoughts on it. So I, I did a um, a Q and A on the Pelicans. I don't know if you did as well. I mean, we've. It's funny we've been doing a lot of a lot of a lot of different different discussions between you, John Hollinger, and I, um, which has been great, and I've, I've really enjoyed it. And the Pelicans have. A really fascinating not only roster but set of decisions, and it just so happens that includes a lot of players that you and I have strong thoughts on. I think is, is a fair way of putting it. And so, like one of the things that came up in the, there was just like Lonzo Ball and his his place on this Pelicans team moving forward. And you and I both were fans of his as as you know, like kind of in the in the early stages of it. How are you feeling about kind of like you can do it in the lens of an extension, or you can do it in the abstract, whatever you're more comfortable with, of kind of like where he is right now. Um, it's, he's in kind of a weird spot because he's, he's somehow like, because of his, his sort of inability to shoot off the dribble and, and poor rim finishing and poor free throw shooting, uh, he is, uh, you know, is he a, is he a one? Is he a two? Is he a good enough shooter to be a two? Is he, uh, he, he probably is too slight to guard bigger wings but he can probably guard some smaller wings so there's there's some of he's he's in danger of 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 kind of that versatility thing uh kind of almost going the other way on him where he's 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 just not quite good enough at anything or he could be just good enough at everything to be really interesting and useful and he's sort of very to me very close to that line i still um you know i think he's a i think he has pretty solid defensive potential and uh if he if if the shooting is is it continues to improve as his mechanics have been cleaned up a lot like uh, yeah there's a there's definitely a spot for him but where that is in the rotation of a of an upcoming up and coming team i'm not sure 
Um, what, like, what do you think? And, it, you know, especially like I'll, I'll finish up, especially like, you know, the Pelicans do have a ton of kind of combo guard E players. Yes, they really do. And so where I've gotten to with Lonzo and this shouldn't be surprising considering kind of where this is all coming from is it's an unusual dichotomy, but I think it, it is more common than, than, than sometimes we give it credit for, which is that I think Lonzo is a, an important and effective transition initiator. I think that, that was something that came up. Uh, that came up today. I think was was Crumple Jumper was talking about the the idea of you know who who are the most valuable players when they grab a yeah. defensive rebound. And Lonzo is very prominent in, in that conversation. The uh, I'm, I'm pulling up the stat right now. He Lonzo Ball when he grabbed and when he grabbed an offensive rebound, the New Orleans Pelicans had a Off- one, defensive rebound. Yeah, de- sorry, a defensive rebound. The New Orleans Pelicans yeah. had a 125 offensive rating. That is completely ridiculous. And you know, it changes. He doesn't change like the the speed of their fast breaks, but it's dramatically more effective. He has one of he has the I believe the largest disparity in the league between the offensive effectiveness when he grabs a defensive rebound and any other Pelican. And there are some sample things with all that and everything, but it is. Right. I think that's telling. So that's a part of the story. He is providing value there, and I think that he is at, at least a capable defender and can be can be more than that depending on the circumstance. However, and you know how we love feedback loops. Oh baby. However, <laughs> I. He has not yet been a reliably good creator of offense for himself and others in the half court. And that is a prerequisite for a team to have. Now, it doesn't have to be Lonzo. And this is kind of what you were getting at with some of the positional stuff. It doesn't have to be Lonzo Ball that is that guy. However, if it is not Lonzo Ball and Lonzo Ball is on the court, then he needs to be able to do things off the ball and the resources that you have to devote to that, because then you you have to have that. Now maybe you could do something involving Lonzo, or sorry, involving Zion Williamson, and you can get into can get into some circumstances that it's a little bit more nebulous. Maybe you're creating somebody going downhill in a way other than a high pick and roll, which is certainly possible. But it gets very difficult. I've I use the phrase somewhat consistently of like, is the juice worth the squeeze? And it's so hard to bridge that gap even though it is certainly possible and one of the ways to do it is that he becomes a better off ball player and and that's why like it'd be very hard for me if i if if for david griffin to extend him now because lonzo has improved but the jump that he needs to make or they need to find somebody else or i guess maybe if they think drew holiday can do this is of such an important one that I think it's even if you have to potentially sacrifice salary, you know, things go well and he gets paid more money than the extension would be worth. I think that's worth it for him. So I think I'm glad you brought up Holiday because I think, you know, we're thinking about him. He's not I don't think he's good enough that he's someone you think about context agnostic. Yes. And so uh, so right now, like the first big decision that the Pelicans have is kind of. Uh, um, do Zion and Ingram coexist? Can they coexist? Um, and that's, I think we've talked about this. I think we, I think actually when we, uh, you know, there our last podcast in the time before we spent a lot of time on this, uh, just talking about, you know, Zion's ability to, to play the five and how much that would open up for them. And that's something we still just don't know. Um, cause we haven't really seen any games since we talked about it. Um, but so that's the first one is, is can, a team with with is is there a a high quality lineup that works with Ingram and, and Williamson 
And the the question is, can Ingram be a full time three? Does Zion have to be the full time five, or or at least play five a lot of the time for that to work? And how well, does and, that work? We don't know yet. Yeah, and like what theoretically? So t- those guys are two of the three front court positions in whatever configuration. What yeah. type of player do you want for the third? I mean, this is something right. that I've brought up with Denver a lot. If like. What do you want next to Jokic? What are the most important attributes? What what are the must haves? What are the can't haves? And then ha- right. then then what's in the middle? And that's a really interesting question too. Yeah, no, but and that so that's the first one. And the, but the second one is I think regardless, I think that that you know Holiday is is you know if for no other reason then then his deal might be a little tough to move. Um, I think that he is, he, and he's good enough that that he is like either the second or third pillar. Um, now, and we could argue whether we think you know Holiday is is a better player going forward than Ingram. Um, I, I think as of right now he is a better player, even though you know, Ingram made the All Star team. But but I think that that uh, uh, especially when you factor in Holiday's defensive ability and, and like ability and versatility. Um, but he's but 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 he's there. Um, so. Like you know, Zion, Holiday, Ingram, yes or no? Does the player fit around that? In what role does he fit around that? Is he if he, is he a starter with those group with those guys? Uh, if he is, then that's then that's you know then we start to talk about an extension and 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 you know build building with and so on and so forth. And if you're not sure, then you kind of hold off a little bit. And I think, and I think you would agree with me on this that we're both not totally sure about that. Right. I think and, we would and, like like, you know, what is that that lineup does lack a little bit of just like lights out shooting. And so that they have JJ Redick. Now you can't I don't think at this point we think you can play Holiday, Redick, Ball, Ingram and, and Williamson for any big minutes. So that's you can't commit to all of that and you know, Redick isn't getting any younger. Um and so then that then that question is is who is the, the bombs out shooter? That you 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 slot into that you know you call it the one call it the two whatever you call that that other spot. So long winded way of saying I think that that you just we're, we don't know enough to see how he fits in with their 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 superstructure yet. Agreed. And with Holiday, the, it happens a lot for me with with point guards who the best thing they do is not running an offense where. It just gets it just sometimes gets hard to reconcile. I mean, Patrick Beverly has been one of those players for me for a long time, and I'm so happy that he has ended up in circumstances where that hasn't been as big of a problem. You know, like when he was playing with James Harden, fine, James Harden can do that. Playing with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George to a lesser extent, fine, they can handle a lot of a lot of that workload too. And it's not like he can't like dribble the ball up the floor, obviously, but it's just that if if he is your linchpin then your offense just isn't going to be that good. Compared you're talking to- about Lonzo now, right? Well, Lonzo Not- or Patrick Beverly. Beverly is the one that I'm bringing. Okay, yeah. No, and- uh, but I was just I was making sure you weren't talking about Holiday because I no, think, I think like so. I think Holiday is a class above them. I think, yeah. but I don't think that he is the, you know, I don't think that he's super close in point guard rankings and everything else. He's not in the, like, him alone category. The, what I use that right. terminology for is that, like, okay, if he's on a team, as long as you have reasonable, competent personnel and schemes that it'll work like i think that's you know that's a really important threshold in various capacities i mean usually point guards it's offense centers it's defense but can be one direction or the other can be a little bit fluid there are a lot of great centers now that don't qualify on that defensively um but holiday while a very good all-around player he doesn't qualify there for me i think he might be the best point guard who doesn't 
I think that's a fair a fair thing. And so then you as David Griffin you're asking two questions. One is are we can we get that somewhere else? And then the second one is is there a possibility that we're okay without it? And that could be the brilliance of Zion. Maybe maybe having Zion as the role main creates enough gravity that even though Drew can't do everything himself, you get close enough and you can have a better defense and all that type of stuff. And that's not a question with a with a clear answer and also kind of pending with all this with Drew are the other two variables. One is his age. He actually turns 30 today and his contract. So Drew Holiday is under contract for the 2020-21 season and then is an unrestricted free agent. Is he willing to come back? Is he willing to come back maybe for less money, more money? Like where, where does he stand with that? Because New Orleans, they can pivot, but I think they kind of need to know ahead of time if they have to. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good way of framing it. Though again, I it's hard to see how they they kind of get they they pivot away from Holiday, you know, for next season uh, in a way that doesn't involve them taking a big step back because of it. Agreed, and and I think that there, so there's a similar conversation, though it is far less extreme in, in New Orleans than it is in Oklahoma City, which is. Where when are we going to be good? When are we going to be great? And can they bridge that gap? So in in Oklahoma City to me it's pretty it's pretty clear because yes, right as of right now they are the tied for the fourth seed, but I believe technically they're the, the they're the five. Yeah, they're actually they're tied for five six with Houston. Um, we'll see how that continues. But in Oklahoma City's case, their veterans are the significant reason, not the only reason, but the significant reason why they exceed expectations, why they were actually a good basketball team this year. And those players aren't going to be around forever. And also their young player cupboard is pretty bare. Shea is, Shea is very good. But, you know, they don't they, – you can't, like, think of the next starting five because he might be the only guy in it. Whereas New Orleans – they're more reliant on their young players now, Ingram and Zion and Lonzo and Josh Hart, ideally, and potentially Nikhil and a few others. And so I, I think so, – so it's interesting. In Oklahoma City's case, I think it's, it's fairly clear that they should go in a certain direction. But with New Orleans, first of all, you know, I think that you could argue that they're beca- – also because their players are under contract, that their 2020-21 is brighter than Oklahoma City. So that's a reason to argue in favor of bridging. But then the other part is – I think they I think they just have more to work with in from that perspective. Man, it's just it's funny. I've just been it's it, it, just exercising the brain to think about this it, in the, for the first time in a couple of months. Just it, it's, it, so does, much to does, wrap your head doesn't around. Doesn't it kind of feel good though? Like to uh, think about to a, think about it, team build. Like I've been starting my offseason yeah. preview for the athletic, and it's like I've been excited to just write about like how you build teams, how to use the mid level exception yeah. again, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, well, it, 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 it's made more difficult again by the fact that we don't really know what the uh, what the rules look like next year. Um, no, but I, I, I did, back to your your question though. I mean, New Orleans is is you know like Shea is nice, but like New Orleans is so clearly further along just because like you know Zion has you know as much as we like Shea, how much top five player equity do we think he has? Whereas you know it, it is considerable for Zion. It is. Like I don't think that's. Oh, like, I, and I, I, and I, Zion, we, we talked about the idea of basically somebody being good enough that you just include them no matter what, that it's like a no-brainer. And Zion is so fascinating because I think that he's not like – it's not like a dead bang lock that he's that, but it seems 
overwhelmingly likely that you know like we as much as there are times when nate and i and you and i discussed this too like talk about his defensive limitations and that is a really important part to whether he eventually becomes like an mvp caliber player or more of a dominant player of a different mold he yeah the equity top five equity is, is a good way of putting it like the chance that he becomes an undeniable star is much higher than shay as much as i like shay yeah but yeah, so I mean, and and the other part of this that I like so much more for New Orleans, and you could make an argument, and I, I probably would, that this helps the case for keeping Drew Holiday or you know bringing him in some different capacity, is that they have they have a lot more guys kind of in their in their system on their roster, however you want to see this, to potentially build out like a functional NBA team, and so. Let's, let's, I'll use I'll use OKC though they're kind of the extreme of another team that's similar quality. New Orleans. So you think about guys that maybe aren't something now, but could become something. Jackson Hayes, Nicole Melly, Josh Hart, Nikhil, maybe Frank Jackson, and then they have you know the possibility of Derek Favors if they end up wanting to bring him back. I think that'd be a lucrative one year deal if they do it. Whereas kind of for OKC of the clearly not veterans, you know maybe Terrence Ferguson works out, maybe Darius Baisley works out. But like a lot of the other guys, I consider them uninspiring. Isaiah Roby, they acquired him, but meh. Um, Nader, Diallo, Burton. You know, maybe maybe you get a rotation. Lou Dort. Player. Lou Dort. Maybe you get a rotation player or two in that. But I don't see like a definite starter there. And so I think that's part of his, part of the reason why you don't do the carryover there is just because it's it's just it's not even a band aid. It's just kind of staying in a weird place. That is, you know, if you make the playoffs, it's great. But if like OKC is the if keeps this largely together and is the nine seed next year, I think they feel very differently about it. Yeah, that's fair. Are yeah. the so I've brought up and I actually did did a pretty hefty segment of a pod, the pod with Bodner about this with Philly. Are there any other and so I could talk about them all day long about how you know ownerships <laughs> willing to spend and, and all the all the different ramifications. Just, you know, working this muscle a little bit, are there any other teams that, let's say, focus more on the first month plus of the of the return? So the seeding games plus the first round of the playoffs. Are there any teams that kind of you think are going to be learning a notable amount of information or that you're kind of interested in how all this, how all the butterfly effects of all this? Well, I mean, you mentioned Philly, just, you know, them figuring out like what their what their best lineups look like. Um if if there's some way that they can actually play Al Horford and Joel Embiid together, that that has a functional offensive uh, component to it, um, or not, and if not, then you know that that's um, it's the kind of thing that that making sure those guys are, are are split is probably not so much of an issue in like the seat, the quote seating portions of the game, but when we get into playoffs and. And presumably Embiid is starting to ramp up to 36, 38 minutes. And then, you know, you're getting, you know, okay, they probably overlap for a couple of minutes, but then it's hard to get Horford much to, to 20 minutes even. I mean, you know, that's a, that, that, that's problematic from, for, for them from a long-term standpoint, I think. Um, so that's that's obviously you know one, one thing we look at. Um, I, I have two more if you want to well, as you go through. So one that has I don't think has gotten nearly enough attention is Indiana. Indiana, I mean, so I think it's pretty likely yeah. that Brogdon and, and Oladipo are going to be there. But that is an important piece of information for Pritchard and the front office to get is how does this work? And even if it, they've got two they've got two sets of weirdness though because they have and, they have like the the two combo guards and the, and the two big guys and, and that's and, where I was going and, is I th- I think we might yeah. learn enough. 
over this, you know, 15 games, 20 games, whatever they play, about whether the Sabonis-Turner experiment should continue. And it's so interesting because I could see it. I have a clear state feeling about which of those I think is better and which of those would be better long-term, especially, you know, certain things about coaching philosophies and everything else. Um, but I could see it, if we're thinking in the abstract, I could see Pritchard, ownership, whatever, going both in either direction in terms of keeping Sabonis and Turner together or separating them. And I could see, if they separate it, see either one of them being the one that moves. You know, it's, I mean, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's it's sort of hard to I – w- I would probably guess that league preference between the two of them is pretty split. I, I would agree. Which uh, – which, you know, I, I think – I mean, it's sort of in my own mind, like I think – I think Sabonis is a better player, and Turner fits in, the, in today's NBA better. So where does that leave us? <laughs> you know. Well, and 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 I've mentioned this enough times, but I'm going to just beat it into the it beat it into the ground. Tying back to the team we just spent a lot of time on it, there have other problems to solve. But if I we talked about the idea that if Ingram and Zion are there, we have you have to figure out the third guy. I think Miles Turner might be the best of the available third guys there if. Zion can't play center because Ooh. then you get the floor spacing, not really a high usage guy, but also get rim protection. There are other players who can check both of those boxes, but I don't know that there are other players who they could theoretically actually get. So it's, it's an interesting, like, you know, how they, the, the mechanics of how that happens is probably something that, uh, that we'll have to tease out in one of our, uh, one of our, uh, off season pieces that, uh, you know, is, is now the time to start to tease those? I think now is. If you want to, um, yeah. I mean, so yeah. In in addition to the, uh, I mean, the the great work that you're doing and the off season previews that I'm writing solo style for the Athletic, we're also doing a set of collaborative off season previews where it's the fun thing that I've really enjoyed. We've already started on this. Uh, is they become very different conversations. Like mine are really like setting the table, like here are the big decisions. And so instead we can get into like, okay, like Miles, Miles Turner Sabonis, what's going on here? What do we think should happen? And I think the evaluation part of it has been really fun for me. Yeah, it's it's uh, a lot of times when you end up doing these, the, the, the like the solo previews, you kind of set things up and say, well, they should be looking for this kind of player with that with that asset, and then you get into the the, the conversation with with uh, you and me and and our our, uh, our partner Dave Dufour on it, and it's like, okay, so who is that, uh, and and why does the other team do it, and so you start to really get it, you get a you start to get a sense of the of, of sort of the challenges that are that are going to be facing. Um, uh, and, you know, every team. Um, and so those are, uh, I believe the first of those is scheduled to run on Monday, uh, for, for, for mystery team X. Mystery uh, we're going to, we're going to start. I think it's over 5,000 words. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're going to, and we're going to be start. Yes, exactly. It's, uh, uh, brevity is our, of course, our main, uh, our main weapon. Um, but we're we're going to start with the with the the as uh, our other Collinger John Hollinger calls them the the delete eight will be the first uh, teams we look at and then kind of as teams get uh, get uh, removed from the bubble uh, they will get the similar treatment. The, so the last the last kind of to move off of the delete eight though I'm, we will talk about this team as well. Uh, the the other one that I'm really interested in how this turns out and we'll see if it ends up being more hype than actuality is Memphis. Because of Justice Winslow. I mean, they gave up a lot in terms of not assets, but just like kind of 
conceptual value. They took on bad money, all those sorts of things to, to bring in Winslow on the idea that he can fill, can fill a need and there just aren't that many guys that can do it well. And the speculation is that he will be available to play. And Memphis, you know, functionally, like you could think of it that he is their 2020 signing like that's the way the way this is kind of working is that they sacrifice 2020 cap space in order to bring him in and how often do you get the chance to see one of those signings in their new place before the next season starts that's that, that's true um they, i mean it, just in general they're gonna be they're gonna be a uh pretty fascinating just because they had they had such kind of good you know continuity going together when when the season was suspended and and how much of that as a young team is still there, um, you know, when we come back. Um, and especially given that, like, you know, the, of, of any team there, they're the ones who probably most justifiably feel aggrieved of having to, you know, qualify for the playoffs again, basically. Um, but, you know, whether they're at able to actually do that and then, you know, presumably, you know, beat most likely Portland or New Orleans in, 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 in you know, the play-in setting, um, so that's the, 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 there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff to watch with them. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll presumably talk at other points too. But anything else you want to mention? Plug anything? Uh, no. I mean, I think I you know just kind of uh, uh, hoping we 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 do get uh, some some basketball played in a safe environment at some point, uh, some point over the summer, um, and that you know. Uh, hopefully those those hopefully the world and those discussions move in move in a direction that, that that can happen absolutely well thank you so much for taking the time absolutely talk soon thanks again to seth partner for taking the time to come on you can read his excellent writing at the athletic you can listen to him on the nerder she wrote podcast and you can follow him on twitter at seth partner s-e-t-h-p-a-r-t-n-o-w somehow he has fewer fo- twitter followers than i do that should change he's better at it than i am and a great analyst. I'm so happy to have him on our team and happy to be friends with him as well uh, so I can get his analysis outside of his excellent pieces. Um, excited to talk about basketball, even if there, it seems a little bit less certain now than where I was, you know, a couple days ago where it seemed like the PA was was more unified than, than they are. But that's uh, we'll, see, we'll see where things go. Nothing, nothing too much can be speculated there. If you want to support this podcast, there are a lot of different things you can do. You can... Leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. Understand if it's not, and if you want to be super awesome, you can do something both places. Also, word of mouth, very important with this. That could be social media saying, hey, listen to this episode. It's a good podcast. Or in person. Or ideally socially distanced or whatever, like telling your friends. Not on social media, that way too. And subscribing, downloading every episode, extremely important because that helps keep our advertisers that helps keep keep momentum going and along those lines the single most important thing you can do for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors for this episode that is bet online use the podcast one promo code to get your sign up bonus and tell them that you came from us which is extremely important really do appreciate their support and if you haven't listened to it, it is a very different podcast, naturally. But the pod that I did with Curtis Harris last week's Real GM Radio is one of the ones that I am most proud of that I've ever done on Real GM Radio, and that's been a long-running thing. And uh, a, a lot of very positive feedback as well. I thought it was really good to tell that specific story, and Curtis was the perfect person to tell most of that story because it was a lot of me listening and asking clarifying questions. And so if you haven't listened to it yet, uh, please do, and please be active in your community however you see fit and um there's obviously a lot going on you can also check out my other work it came up a little bit in the conversation with
with Seth, but I'm doing my 30-team solo off-season preview series at The Athletic, and then we'll be a part of a collaborative 30-team series at The Athletic. You can check out both of those there. Dunked on, we're still at two days a week for now. We will ramp up closer to when things actually kick off again, because we are we are appreciating the break while we have it, because we know we won't have much of one. And Real Jam Radio will, of course, be back next week. That's why it's great to subscribe and download every episode. If you have any feedback on this show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to do it. I really do appreciate it. I read everything that comes in. I don't always respond. I, I want to be better about that, but my time is still, even with everything, still somewhat limited in my capacity. So, I but I do read everything, um, and I appreciate it because it makes the show better, and that that's really what it's about for me. And uh, if you take that time, then I I respect it, and I I think that's how it works. So, Real Gym Radio will be back next week. I do not know the guest. I do not know the timeline, but it will be back. That is how this works. And thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.